Welcome back, Kofkin Bond listeners. Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. We have Julia Strangio McRae on. Julia is an alignment consultant, facilitator, coach, leadership expert, and cultural specialist focusing on empowerment. Her team at Mirrored Horizons focuses on meaningful solutions for individuals and business around growth and fulfillment. With corporate experience across a diverse range of industries, their team applies its skills, knowledge, and human resources, psychology, operations, strategy development, project, and change management to drive empowerment and engagement. Julia talks us through her story, her start of her career, and what drives her in her role. Today's gonna be fun, so let's go. Julia, welcome to the Kofkin Bond Podcast. Thank you, Tony and Jamie. Thanks for having me. So this is an interesting journey for us. We, we actually, um, we come to a workshop that you put on for a club that we've recently joined, Cub in Melbourne. Um, and out of that, I think we had so many questions running through our head. So we'll try today to sort of keep it a little bit structured, but- We were I'm, actually hogging the questions at the end there. So we thought, <laughs> we'll ask you privately. So. Yeah, why not get you onto a podcast? But I did want to start with your background today. Um, and how I want to start with your background, um, you know, when I look up your websites and, and I sort of find out a little bit about you um, online, it's it's funny I see you as a HR consultant, but what you do is so different. And this is what I really want to dive into today. I, I sort of wouldn't call you a HR consultant at all. Okay. Um, from personally, and, and that's what we want to dive into today. But I guess from a professional standpoint, um, you know, how did you start professionally? What was your first job and, and what's led you on this journey? Uh, actually really interesting first job would have been on the family business okay so I grew up on a vineyard in the Grampians so family owned and operated vineyard love the Grampians yeah do we still have the winery no no unfortunately my parents left when I was 22 but um, yeah so helping out from a young person I still remember even thinking I was helpful sitting on the boxes when they'd seal them and so that was my first job that run around, jump on the boxes, help seal them as I were packing the pallets. Um, so yeah, always helped out on the family vineyard and um, yeah, that's probably the first job that I really have to remember. Yeah, okay, so do we do we head to uni or, or what was sort of the thought coming out of school? Um, what journey did you want to take at that point? So I think growing up in the country, you kind of do one of two things. You go to school, you get a job and stay in the country town or you go to school know that your path is to go to uni and I guess for me growing up it was always go to school do the best grades you can go to university so always knowing around 17 18 you're going to move out of home and go to Melbourne at least to go to uni so what I did um, I looked at what subjects I liked best and it's really true to what we do now in our business is focusing on what you know about yourself and what you really enjoy what energizes you Um, and so that whole concept that if you enjoy what you do you don't really work a day in your life so I just loved psychology at school I loved business management at school um, and I love legal studies so when you look at all three of those elements combined naturally led me to human resources and at the time went down to university I still remember um, going down to all the open days with my dad just really fondly going through all of them and at the time Monash University in Caulfield was the only course that offered offered straight from school into um, Bachelor of Business majoring in human resources everyone else you had to go and do the bachelor and then choose your major and I knew what I wanted to do okay so we went to that um, open day and my dad still took me into the hall at Clayton and he actually did a test run of my graduation um, so he actually stood up on stage and gave me my um, gave me my degree in human resources so it was a pretty proud moment I guess when you actually then go and live that and he's in the audience watching that and the other really interesting one on that is the day I got my year 12 results my dad was on the other side of the world on a business trip for the vineyard um, and it was time for the results to come out and he made that phone call um, and he was literally on the phone with me as the web page back in the days nice. when web pages would take ages to load yeah. it was loading with my results for year 12 and he was on the phone to me as I got my results so oh, it was that special moment from the practice run graduation to getting results knowing yes you're going to Monash. I was like I got the text message I was sort of one of the first people to start getting <laughs> the text message I think I went into my sister's room and said look I beat you so I was happy and, and walked from a there. A twin by any chance? No she wasn't no. she's a couple of years oh. older but I, I pinned she's her on. very much the boss of Jamie. Yeah I, I pinned her on the results so that was my that was my proud moment with a little the bit of competitive yeah. spirit at home I'm guessing. Yeah. Very much so but I, I love that journey because you know 
thinking about HR um, as a 17, 18 year old, I love that you've thought about what your passions are and sort of combine them because when you think about legal studies, you know, I think in most people's mind, it's, well, okay, I'm going to go study law. Yeah. Um, where you've sort of actually thought a bit deeper at that age. And I don't think at that age I would have had the head on me to think like that and actually understand my passions. Right. Yeah. So, how, like, so you start in HR and the subjects that you did at uni, how did you find them compared to what you're doing now? I think at the time you're doing it and you're doing a lot of those subjects going, mm, not really sure how this correlates or whether it's actually going to plan out or I'm actually going to use it. It felt quite pointless in some of the, um, in some subjects, you're kind of doing them and you're like, oh, what's this going to mean later on? Um, and I, I still remember that moment. It's about, I reckon, three to five years into my actual career in human resources where I went, ah, this is why they were teaching us this at uni. And it all started to come back together and you just start to go, okay, these are the principles. These are what I'm going to refer back to. And then you go back and read your um, drucker and you read all of those theorists and you can then bring it back into what you're doing then. So it was, yeah. I think it's just that, as we always often refer to, it's that those foundations which you build upon, but when you need to go back to them, they're there to go back to. But if I didn't have that to go back to, probably would have been a bit lost yeah nice so you're starting a career um what was your sort of first job outside of uni um and that led you on the journey you're on now so during uni i actually worked in um stationery so invitations and stationery so yep. i actually started a small business in business management in year 10 where i made greeting cards with a friend okay um and so really interesting i was living on high just off high street armadale and there was a shop open rock paper scissors so i worked there to support myself through university um whilst going to Monash and then I was incredibly lucky my first job and I would say this to everyone sat on a panel last year and said best advice I can give any graduate coming out is don't take the first job you get really consider that job and how it's going to lay the like those foundations again for the rest of your career um, and I think we've seen it a lot with the pandemic with people jumping for salary increases yep. rather than taking those really considered decisions to look at the opportunities and what you're going to learn here and now that's going to set you up for that longevity of your career and actually set you up to succeed to where you want to go and I was so fortunate I actually landed a job with a global IT consultancy um, they were probably at the forefront of um, implementing agile methodologies yep. um, and lean practices in um, technology. So I was working with ThoughtWorks, which is um, an IT consultancy, and I worked there for about three years. So I started as an office manager. Yep. Um, there was small in Melbourne at the time, and they said they could tailor that role where you could do the office management um, whilst picking up elements of supporting our HR team with the booking of interviews, assisting with interviews and doing um, HR. And within sort of 12 months, they evolved that into a full-time human resources coordinator role for me. Um, and it's really interesting having taken that path because people often sort of don't give office managers, receptionists the credit they deserve. And when you think about culture and um, I guess anything to do with enjoyment of people, the receptionist, the first person you meet. Yeah, well, we actually, um, internally here, we actually have never had a receptionist mm -hmm. um, at Coffin and Bond in these offices, but um, we actually recently advertised for a role um, and then sort of spent some more time with our staff understanding what they needed and what the actual, we actually needed here. And we've actually identified we actually need someone in that role. Yeah. Um, we need someone doing, there's certain tasks that we need someone doing and, and being prompt on the phone and being with our meetings. And, you know, so we've actually re-advertised that role because we feel like we actually need that role. In and that was, led by, that was actually led by the staff. Yeah. Yeah, so in respect to be able to help them as well. Uh, but there was back in the or probably early 2000s where the role of receptionist, the job title was changed to Director of First Impressions. Yes. And I always thought that was interesting. came in and I saw, um, I remember walking into the accounting firm, Allen Partners, that were down in actually High Street, um, Malvern. Yes. Uh, they were. And, uh, yeah, the receptionist was Director of First Impressions. And she was lovely. She, she actually just really made you feel welcome. And there's one thing I always remembered about her too, is that when I came in next time, she remembered how I had my coffee. Yes. And she, and you know, she said, do you still just have a white latte? Uh, I said, yes, I do. And she said, would you like one this morning? I said, yes, thank you. And, and she just went and got it. And she remembered my name and she was chatting and she yeah. was actually quite chatty as well. So you actually walked in there feeling um, 
quite relaxed, yes. you know, and she, she, it was the environment. She was only young. She was probably only in her very early 20s. But the environment that she actually brought to that role mm. uh, was actually really nice. I had a fantastic opportunity to do a case study at a company I work for in Sydney. Um, my goodness, I'd have to say it's almost 10 years ago now. Mm. Um, I joined and um, they'd had almost a revolving door of people working in their reception role. And they were paying really entry level. So those people who made that choice to go straight from school straight into the workforce. Um, And they were just turning them over. They'd sit there for a couple of weeks and go, so what's next for me? And they said, look, we're looking for a receptionist. And I said, look, this is what you've been paying. Could I interview and show you candidates between this range and all the way up to this range? Because you'll see you get what you pay for. So we did the interviews and we interviewed all the candidates from all the levels. They ended up going with the person. So they were looking, and this probably shows the age, we used to pay about $35,000. Minimum wage is now, what, $43,000? It was minimum wage um, at the time. And then it came all the way through to, we moved the salary up to a $70,000 salary almost. Um, And when you see it and you see the difference what they could do, the level of phone calls they were taking. They were taking sales leads and handing them straight across to the salespeople with all the information a salesperson needed to make that next call with real value add. And she stayed in the role. She didn't ever come into the role wanting to be something else. She had a career path and she added so much and was one of the key elements that actually helped to drive the cultural shift in the organisation, that steady piece in the organisation. And I think it's just interesting having started the career in that space to kind of go how important this role is. And again, it's probably one of those things like you asked about university. Did I really appreciate it at the time? Probably not. Would I love to go back and do a reception of um, operations office management role now? Absolutely, because you can see the impact you can have just by making a person's day better. Yeah. So. It's, you mentioned the word career path. I remember when I was first, um, uh, you know, about my experience with uh, amazingly positive experience with yes. Mr Irwin at, um, at Drake Personnel. But when I was looking for my first full-time job, um, my, my goal in life was to be a professional triathlete, but I needed some money. So yes. I, was, I was looking at working. And I remember my mum saying, don't worry about that. Stay at uni, but go and get a job at a bank. Uh, because basically it's a case of you just get promotion and one day you end up the boss because everyone else dies. And that was her, (laughs) they were pretty much her words. She's quite blunt, my Irish mum, but they were pretty much her words. You just go there, you get noticed, you work hard and eventually you just continually get promoted and they'll teach you you on the job. Mm. So if you don't want to go to uni, they'll actually teach you on the job. And I couldn't think of anything worse, to be brutally honest. Now, you know, so now I'm, I'm a generation older than the two of you, but it was just like, um, I just thought, oh, that would just be so awful. Uh, and it, it just, it really sort of dawned on me that that wasn't what I wanted. And one of the things that I think we've done okay here, and I just had this conversation last week in Sydney with one of our colleagues, is when it comes to somebody who looks at that growth, they might come in with a thought process that I want to be an advisor one day, yes. as an example. But you might actually see them, and I did this with Jamie when he first joined eight years ago, after about two years, three years, I actually said to him, Jamie, I actually think you would be a very successful advisor. But at the same time, I actually think you have far more leadership qualities. Would you be interested in this and growing the team? It will take more pressure off me, and it means we can grow quicker yep. by you actually doing that. And I think you have those better leadership skills than what I have, as an example. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we've actually done well. But I see in other organisations where you come in for this job and when they see that career path, it's it's like they have a glass ceiling without yeah. knowing it and what they do. And sometimes to a lot of people that are working in the larger organisations, they might be quieter so they don't get seen as much, but they could have such amazing talent as well that it just gets lost. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, again, the same the company I worked at in Sydney, which really let me cement all these sorts of things to bring it forward in uh, my career, they let me sit with people and actually speak to them and get to know them and actually go back to the owners of the business and say, um, have you considered this role for this person or would you put them into this role? And they let 
let um, me run some of those experiments and do some different things and see the impacts of those. And we took someone who was in, again, a sales role, um, was a little bit lost, didn't quite know sort of what he was doing, had a good chat to him, understood where he sort of, what his skills were, what his strengths were, and we ended up putting him into a um, business development role for property management as opposed to sales. And he nailed it. He literally like grew the business rapidly so just that small shift in the ability to do things differently and listen to and play to someone's strengths and skill sets taking a little bit of that pressure off because the salary is obviously not commission based only and then letting them thrive in those sorts of environments you can get a really great outcome and I had a podcast um, actually previously where um, I think someone said those people who are quieter that are not sort of the um, look at me, look at all I've achieved. They're not necessarily climbing the corporate ladder, almost referring to them as lazy people, but they're not lazy yeah. people. They're quiet achievers or they're introverted people um, and they might have really different values in life. They might want to come in and do their role, do it really well, but they don't need to get that recognition. They're just happy to do that, to have something to do. Um, and those people are really important in an organisation too. And as I said... Well, they're actually the backbone of your organisation exactly. a lot of the time as well. And if you ignore them or don't acknowledge those strengths, I think it's uh, to your own detriment as an organisation. Yeah. And that's the thing. Most people just ign- they don't acknowledge those people because they don't need the acknowledgement so they forget to do it and I think that's that career receptionists are or career office managers are a breed in themselves and they actually are the lifeblood of an organisation and need to be accredited a little bit more. So Mirrored Horizons, what Mm -hmm. led you down the path to I guess stepping out and starting your own business? Yeah, I think I've spoken fondly to the experience I had um, at the business in Sydney. I was given, um, I guess, what I'd call a greenfield HR role. Um, I'd also had an opportunity previous to that at a um, business in Melbourne for a greenfield role um, where they had HR for the first time, but I can tell you the leaders were very different. Um, So it really comes down to that ability to sort of see a leader's capability to take it to that next level. Um, so with Mirrored Horizons, sort of had come back to Melbourne, um, I'd gone into another property-based business and we had sort of a two-prong culture where we were going really well and then we'd go backwards at times. And again, it came down to that leadership influence. We had times where the leadership team were working really effectively together and then we had times where we'd get derailed and what we called detracted from. Um, so Mirrored Horizons, I actually worked with um, my business partner, Emmeline, at um, this other property company in Melbourne. Yep. And it was at times um, a really difficult environment. So we'd seen the best and the worst of each other um, and we also had the opportunity to bring in quite a few external consultants in various um, areas both sort of in um, management consulting as well as sort of that office redesign and we've done a fair bit of work with the team ourselves and a few of the senior leaders actually said to us oh do you realize you guys actually had already done what we just paid someone a lot of money to do and we're like Oh yeah, we we have. Um, <laughs> Did you so, get paid for this? <laughs> yeah, and we started to go. Oh, okay, maybe, maybe we could do this. So we um, we both actually strangely have connections to the country. Um, so I said I'd grown up on the country. She'd grown up more in the city, but had a farm in the country, not too far from where I grew up. Um, and we got talking more and more and we started to go, we could do this. So the name actually, we decided had to have that element of who we were from our country roots. So the Mirrored Horizons being um, obviously the reflection of sort of everything you know about yourself. And Jamie, you said before about, I wouldn't have that ability to think like that at that age. Um, I think that's something we both do really well. We're quite reflective as people and sort of really considered in that space. So that piece is sort of reflecting on what you know about yourself to inform your next decision and next horizon you want to move towards that's where the name sort of mirrored horizons came about um and for us we're both purpose-led so um purpose-led with similar thought processes similar um, thinking on these practices that we do but at the same time different skill sets which we found to be quite complementary so things that i'm quite comfortable doing and would prefer to hand off to me and vice versa so 
I can tell you today. It's why I'm here speaking to you. <laughs> but if you wanted an article written, that would be M through and through. Like I'm just not able to put my words um, onto paper. So um, but yeah, we decided, yep, yeah, we'd take a leap and off we went in 2019. We decided we'd start Mirrored Horizons. We presented to our, um, well, my husband and her soon-to-be husband and they backed us. So we started to develop our content and we developed our website and we launched to um, market on the 1st of August, 2019. Okay. okay. Difficult time. <laughs> really great timing. Yeah. Um, well, so, it was for three months. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think um, serendipitous for that for us is I actually discovered or found out I was pregnant in May. Okay. Um, with my third and M knew that I was always going to have a third child. Yeah. Um, and so was pregnant, we'd actually got a pretty good run. So we started off um, doing more personal alignment workshops. So we have an alignment workshop, which mm. um, helps you to understand more about a whole person. Um, a lot of that reflective practices, looking at the things that we know that we like about ourselves, those things that um, invoke natural energy um, and energizers as we call them. So giving that information. And we honestly thought we'd start going to individuals. Um, and we ran a couple of those workshops and we actually had a couple of corporates attend those workshops. They'd heard about it and then they'd attend the workshop and said, hey, can you come and run these in our teams? So we'd always wanted to go back into the corporate space and take it corporate, but we thought we'd test it on individuals first. Um, so that actually happened a lot quicker. And yep. one of the things we did when we started our business, we um, wrote a great long list of success factors of what success would be if we did it well and just a huge list of all the things that success would look like. Um, and so within those short-lived um, four months, um, we picked up a Grampians client. Again, we neither, neither of us actually knew those people. Okay. Um, they were actually from our little local count and we went to a local council and we ran a workshop with a team of about... I think it was about 24 people. And then we actually got flown across to Curtin University in Perth and ran a workshop with a group of administrators and marketing there. Um, and we ran a team workshop. And again, we sort of got to apply it in that team environment and give those managers those insights into their people. And really remember when we did the Curtin University, they were really struggling to, how do I get them to connect with their KPIs? And it's interesting because during the day, one of the senior managers came in and was like giving the team a bit of a rev up and you could just see everyone's body language shift. They, yeah. Like it just absolute shift when they started talking about KPIs, they were rolling their eyes, they were just disengaging with it. But when you talked about what was really important to them, they came to do their jobs because they connected with the people and they connected with the outcomes of the people they placed to like placed into university opportunities and then saw them through that path to then getting them jobs. And so that's what energized them. And when you could actually shift that message after doing that workshop, said, stop talking to them about KPIs. You've got to talk to them about the outcomes of what comes when they get their KPIs. And they saw such a shift in such a short space of time because obviously WA didn't lock down like yeah. Melbourne did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, um, they actually saw this really big shift when they changed how they communicated with their staff just from these really small insights we could see in a one-day workshop with their team. So, yeah, we'd done those little workshops and then we sort of hit, what was it, December. Um, I had my little guy on the 24th of December and my parents are now in Eden in New South Wales yep. um, and so they're here in Victoria yeah. and then they drove home um, on the New Year's Eve yeah. to defend their property. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think my little guy was almost baptised with salt water from <laughs> um, breastfeeding him and um, yeah. yeah, like parents literally trying to save their property and they were so blessed. Um, they missed being burnt out in the fires by less than a kilometre. Wow. Um, I think they got evacuated three or four times quite seriously. So when the whole of Eden got yeah. evacuated that last night when the wood chip mill caught on fire, they, because that got caught on fire, that wind shifted over that direction and they were less than 500 metres from that. Um, and we also lost contact with them. Um, obviously for a couple of days so yeah. I had a newborn um, it was a really I'm gonna I'm trying to smile my best way through this because yeah. I can normally get quite emotional so that was sort of that 2020 I think the world fell into sort of fires and then 
we were still in fires and a lot of people had started to move on to COVID and yeah. my parents were still getting evacuated and I still remember family saying to me, oh, yeah, but the fires are it's all done. And I was like, no, my parents actually got evacuated two nights yeah, ago. Yeah, it's still yeah. happening. Um, it's still happening, but there's just big news happen- happening globally. So then we got shut down. Um, we kind of just I obviously had a little guy. I was always sort of planning to take sort of that first four months off and yep. then get back into it on the 1st of April was literally the plan. Um, but that didn't happen. I actually became a school teacher. Um, wow. With oh, okay. a, well, a prep. Yeah. <laughs> I had a <laughs> yeah, homeschooling so I, I a prep. Think, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, homeschooling a preppy. The first, lock, the first day of lockdown here was 27th of March, wasn't it? So you're... It was because that I remember it was Damn Jeremy's yeah. 21st birthday, which yeah. we had to get, which is my youngest son, and we had to cancel it. Yeah. 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 And they pulled school holidays early. Mm. So they shut school early. Um, and I had a two year old as well. So I'd still remember, like, whenever they'd put the classmates on, the two year old would want to be in there with his brother. Wow. <laughs> the littlest wanted to be feeding. <laughs> Yeah. And it was just like, guys, this is chaos. And my husband's um, an industrial um, engineer, so works with robotics. So he was still on site. So okay. um, I know a lot of people sort of either lost jobs or got stood down, but we had this other world of he was still able to work. Most people actually had that help at home and I had everyone at home with a newborn. Yeah. Um, You're juggling three babies, yeah. basically. <laughs> so it's, um... Yeah, it was interesting. So we just did that. You know what? We're just going to embrace what this is we decided we'd invest in what we could um, mm. do to be put ourselves in the best position we could coming out of it um, we weren't going to put too much pressure on it honestly hate hated social media by the end of it because it's how we were trying to form connections yep. with and build relationships with people and we're very clearly much better when we're in front of people um, so yeah we had to sort of get through 2020 and um, yeah it was really tough for a new business um but we threw ourselves into exercise and fitness to be really honest uh, we just went if there's one thing we can do we can come out with a healthy mind healthy body yep. feeling really confident um and that's what we did to get through and um, still remember it um we got a few grants we um, ended up finding a great accountant during that process and got a few grants and we said anything we got as a grant was going straight back into the business in the best way we could and i think it's how we've come to meet each other we um invested one of those into a cub membership yeah um and so came out into a cub session i think our first one was in november of 2020 um we met a few people through that and engaged our first client sort of by february the following year as a retained client so i know em was literally going to say let's just scrap this retained model it's never going to happen it's like well we haven't really had a chance to sort of look at this but um yeah signed our first retained client as she's sort of saying let's just scrap this um it's just one of those true teachers of business is you've got to be agile (laughs) the best laid business plan tear it up throw it out the window (laughs) when you when you look at COVID, and i think this is back to my statement before about not seeing you as a hr i I guess i see you as a leadership and and cultural uh, like culture sorry expert and where i see that is COVID did change things and and i guess the biggest one was the whole work from home policy and that become a big talking point and you know i know businesses are still struggling with how they set up their businesses um did that sort of, I guess, once we come out of COVID, is that where you've seen a real growth where businesses were trying to be different um, to what they originally were and, and that's where they needed your help? Yeah, I don't know if that's exactly what it was that helped our business. Um, I think certainly the businesses who have embraced that yeah. um, and realised the opportunity that that presented are going to thrive as a result of it. I think when you see anything like that, um, uh, it promotes consideration as to how do we embrace this what do we learn and evolve and so we talk about cultural as an evolution Um, and if you're not going to sort of say hey what has this given us what are we going to evolve as a result of this stimulus that we've been presented um, then you're not going to sort of move with the times Um, and I think it's just interesting hearing on the radio on the way in this morning there's a big push from a lot of like even I think it was New South Wales Council to get people back to work a lot of the banks are starting to try and get people back to work and I think again it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and had conversations with a lot of people around yes for graduates and entry-level staff there's so much value in the opportunity to learn from what you see and observe and I think certainly um, when you're talking about working from home and we've talked about it with a lot of cub members 
when they're not seeing the conversations that you have in a professional sense and they're not seeing how you speak to a client on the phone, they're not seeing how you run a meeting, they're not learning these skills. Yeah. And so we're not seeing that development that we would normally see. Um, so there's a lot that's come from it, um, but has it been the thing that sort of sparked our business? I don't think necessarily. I think what sparked our business most is it's really when businesses get through that sort of 30 people mark. Yeah. Um, when you kind of small, you can kind of do a lot of these things. It starts to be when that time pressure balance, you know, I'm starting to have problems. People can't just work this out. You know, that you've got 30 people that aren't going to get along yeah. really well. I see that's where people come to us most um, to sort of start to embrace that journey. So I don't think it's a necessarily a, cult, uh, a COVID-related thing for us. Has the alignment piece and understanding your people been beneficial? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's And we've actually done a full cultural audit remotely. Um, so we go into an organisation and we sort of, um, I guess, taking from um, that seek first to understand, um, we try to understand a culture of a business. So we call it a cultural audit um, and we do about three to five days, depending on the size of the organisation, just observing, seeing how it operates. So we'll give um, organisations a full report at the end of that and we certainly start with that positive psychology looking at what a business does exceptionally well um, and what are the things that are some pain points or challenges that you might be facing in the organisation that you may not be aware of and we try to meet with a lot of individuals so we meet one-to-one we'll do sort of group focus groups we'll attend meetings that are run we'll just sit in the office and observe those interactions that happen either outside of a meeting or just um day-to-day in the office as well as we get access to a fair lot of that HR documentation we feed that report back to a business and then sort of present them with hey this is how we see it and in those reports a lot of businesses go yeah okay yep agree with you that is sort of how our culture is or yes we kind of thought there was something but yes you've kind of articulated that quite well with that bit independent observation yeah what are you seeing is the most like I guess the major pain points for most businesses when you do these audits Wow, um, what a question. Do you know what? It's really different yeah. to every organisation. But I think the biggest thing that we see, and um, I think this is where we speak about culture a little bit differently to a lot of people. So a lot of people kind of think about what does the organisation do for me? What are the fun things they put on? Um, they're all great and they do help build a culture. But culture is when you actually listen to your people and you fix their biggest pain points. So it's typically a process or a system challenge that actually is the biggest pain point. Um, Which means it can be totally different for, if you've got 30 people, it can be totally different for 30 different people. It can be, but you'll typically be able to root cause it to something quite similar okay. in a process or a process which a lot of people interact with so that transfer of information um, is typically where you'll kind of go to it so yes you're probably right Jamie we probably do deviate a fair bit from what people would think of as a human resources person we do jump into what's your pain point we do facilitate process-based conversations all right so explain this process where's that pain point um and then you're actually trying to work out is it system is it communication is it um just i don't want to do that step yeah (laughs) and they're just lazy and therefore they're not passing on information but by not passing on that information is it stopping it so then what we often then find is it's actually then reconnecting people and we do it. Um, so a lot of companies at that size don't quite have position descriptions or we call them clarity agreements. We approach these a little bit differently. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. So we actually start to in have... Alignment structure being your org chart. So yeah, alignment <laughs> yeah, structure is yep. a little bit different. So we have clarity agreements, but what we do in that situation is we facilitate conversations with groups of people where they talk about their roles and we talk about what my roles are. Their business goals within the organisation or their personal goals? Uh, So when we talk about 
so in alignment workshop we talk about personal and professional goals but when we talk into a clarity agreement we're looking at like their objectives for how they see their role contributing to a business achieving their purpose um and with that it's often and find it with that hr um space all the time people don't understand what it is I'm paid to do. Um, So it's giving people that understanding of that, you know, if I'm having this conversation or I'm having a performance management meeting with you, with a manager, it's not driven by the human resources professional. It's driven by the manager and the employee. I'm there to support and provide that structure. Um, We often get people who like sit in our office and want to share a problem with us and say just want you to be aware of this and it's like so what would you like me to do with this or how can I help you through this no no I just wanted you to be aware of it it's like yeah but I'm I'm now aware of it but I have an obligation to do something so what would you like me to do and they're like oh no I don't want to do anything with it so we have to often explain to people what it is we are there what we are paid to do and some of the challenges that we face in our roles and when you think that we've got those challenges every single role in an organisation has those and so sometimes it's when you start to communicate more with each other and explain well these are my challenges and this is what I'm trying to achieve and I'm trying to actually help you <laughs> you can start to sort of address some of those process issues in that cultural. Does that help um, reduce or alleviate in some type of way at what can be a toxic or a cancerous culture that can start to spread it might be from one individual could be from gossip it could be uh, so is that kind of stamp it out a bit quicker? And, and probably the you know the, the old man use of words there, but it's but it's it just seems to be that if you let it grow and then somebody oh Jamie you know did you see what uh, Tony did you know and it's you, you have that and it's rather than well why don't you go to Tony and speak to Tony about it yes yeah uh, well there's definitely that so when we actually facilitate those sort of clarity agreement position description um, exploration sessions we often encourage people afterwards to go and have coffee with someone from a different department where you don't understand their role have that chat with them um, and understand their role better um, we start the session in a really interesting way but just that show of hands so, so who here has ever whinged about another group in the organization so whether it's sales whinging about marketing or and everybody in that um, room raises their hands and then you in that at the beginning of these sessions you actually say so all right so who has actually gone and had a conversation with the person they've had that whinge about to understand or address that with them all the hands in the room or I'd say 90% of the hands in the room go down and it's like, well, you've got an issue, you're having a whinge to people, but are you making that person aware of it? And so we talk about culture is that awareness. And then I think where, um, Jamie, you asked me before why we did Mirror Horizons is we can bring awareness and then it comes down to leadership. So a lot of companies will bring you in, they'll go through the awareness piece and then they'll go, great, we accept that, we don't want to do anything with it. Yeah, okay. Or, yep, I hear you, I'm not going to change. And then you get the others and I'll talk to... Is that the company or the individual leader, the founder, usually is a bit resistant to change? Because we all are, we're we're creatures of habit and we're all a little bit resistant to change at times. Yeah, and I think, look, we naturally, change is an evolution in itself. Um, Growth is hard. Yes, growth is hard. And like, you know, even... It's exceptional, but it's hard at the same time. And, you know, you have to kind of go, I've made a mistake to keep moving forward. So we talk about progress, not perfection, but absolutely it comes down to leadership Mm. because it's never held up by a company because what's a company who makes a company decisions? Leader. The leaders. (laughs) So it's not a company that stops it. It's the leaders in the business who either don't embrace it um, and I think the one where we've seen it come the furthest and that was um, working with this group in Sydney was fed the information and understood that it's a process and it takes time and patience and we said that um, with every leader we meet is this isn't going to be a quick solution you're going to do this report you're going to get this information you're going to become aware of these things and then you're going to choose which bits you want to change and then we're dealing with people mm. so and we're dealing with a world and what COVID taught us is best laid plans go out the window so 
it's not okay this is the plan we're going to implement and then we do this stage this stage and it all just goes smoothly you do this stage and then something happens the financial environment changes we get interest rate rises so that shifts that um sales slow down because of this so we've got to change that so we've got to come back and revisit it so i guess that comes back to our mirrored horizons is everything we do has stop reflect reevaluate reset towards that horizon that you're moving towards i feel like i've gone completely off topic but, no, no, um, yeah so you've yeah. got to keep resetting and doing it but it's absolutely absolutely leaders and their ability to embrace it move forward reassess move forward and continually change mm. and move with it um and a glitch and it's like every diet anyone who's ever tried to lose weight you have a binge night if you let that binge night throw everything out the window, you're never going to get towards that weight loss yeah. goal. Yeah. Same with leadership. All right, I had a bad moment. Do I just end it or do I get back on path? Um, and so it's the same with everything that you have. So it's absolutely leaders. Yeah. When we listened to your talk the other week, um, you talked about your three pillars. Do you want to explain what your three pillars are? Uh, our embrace who you are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Live for purpose yeah. and be courageously authentic. So um, it applies personally but it applies to business as well so we've kind of scrapped your vision mission and values and I think we scrapped it because we've spent hours in boardrooms with leaders trying to work out what's different between a vision and a mission um and it's like well if it's taking this long to work it out how do then you communicate it to your people and I've seen it communicated to people and then they fight with you over no that's a vision not a mission does it really matter? So we go um, with that embrace who you are. And so if it's personal, um, Jamie, it's what I said to you at the outset. I looked at everything at as a 16-year-old choosing subjects for school, university. I looked at what I enjoyed. I looked at what I already knew about myself from the 16 years prior. Um, and I embraced that to decide as to where I was going to go with my purpose, being into a career in um human resources and dealing with people um so that embrace who you are for a business is the same thing is you've come to a point in time so when em and i came together to look at mirrored horizons we looked at what do we want this to be why are we doing this and we developed that so who are we as a business um and so a lot of people are familiar with Simon Sinek, but he always says start with why. Mm. But we actually believe you can't start with your why until you understand who you are at a given point in time. And if it's two people coming together to start a business or one person come like starting a business or five people starting a business, you need to sit and go, well, who are we and why are we doing this? So if you don't understand that who first. So we always look at that who we are and then we move to that purpose. So purpose being why we're doing this. Um, and so Mirrored Horizons for us is very much a purpose-led organisation um, and we want to improve lives by empowering people to embrace who they are, live their purpose and be courageously authentic. And so the critical thing we just spoke about with leaders is a lot of companies will set their vision and their mission and they'll set their values um, and then it can be all torn apart because they're not authentic um, and I think we were in a conversation recently Tony where it's a lot of businesses will have values that um, circle around sort of that innovation they'll have collaboration they'll have something to do with maybe a bit of fun along the way trust, and trust or integrity <laughs> yeah. all those sorts of things and what those words mean to each person is different and so that's where that embracing who but how does this come to life here and what we're trying to achieve um, and we've looked um, research sort of all the companies that are getting recognized for best places to work um, your employers of choice all those different um, streams that recognize great cultures and what we found with all of them is similar to what we talk about guiding principles or cultural principles so we don't do values we develop cultural principles um, so cultural principles will give you they're based within those values so whether it is trust and integrity all those sorts of things and then it gives a description to how it is lived in this organisation with this group of people and moving towards this purpose. Um, and you can do that personally as well. So you can have your own personal set of values and talk about how that comes to life. Um, and so the courageously authentic for us is then we say that 
this is who we are, we say that this is our purpose and we say that these are our cultural principles and this is then we are being courageously authentic, we are true to what we're saying and that's that check-in reflection, how are we going, is it right, do we need to evolve it, change it and I think too many companies get really stuck in that we've created it, we're not changing it, it's an evolution, it's not working for us it's actually being worked against us. So Tony, you spoke to before about toxic cultures mm. and you could give a great long list of all the things that cause toxic cultures, but in authenticity, if you've got integrity as sitting as one of your values, <laughs> no one believes in your vision, your mission or the values because they're not authentically lived. You're yeah. going to have a toxic culture. Um, so that courageous authenticity is actually doing what you say you're going to do and it's really having difficult conversations with people too when they're not aligned um, to the vision the values and the um, direction of the company it is interesting when you do an interview with somebody to join an organization and you I mean it the, the way I look at it is has any red flags come out of that interview because I always come in at the end so yes. it's um and the because if a red if if a red flag comes up when they're showing you the best version of themselves, which is usually in that interview if they yes. want the job, uh, you think, okay, what else can there actually be? But you know, and they they can be sometimes just little words. Or we we had uh, one gen come for an interview once who within the first two minutes started bagging out his wife, and it was just like <laughs> I, I don't even know how it got to that. And it was. Is if he looked the part, his resume was magnificent, but he didn't get the job. <laughs> it is, uh, we've got two other people who were at the same interview in our work here who are unbelievable. They're just yes. exceptional. Fantastic. So, but it's it's it does come down down to though when you're talking about even Simon Sinek, who who is who is great and yes. really he really does make you think. But I know when we're at a stage of and I wanted to grow the business and to get the other leaders in here on board. And the question was, is, well, we're actually a successful business, you know, we're financially secure. Why do you want to grow? Why do you want to get bigger? And at first, I actually couldn't answer that. It was, so I, I know I'm a person who always likes to grow things, but I actually couldn't answer that. And it wasn't until some real deep, introspective, you know, look at myself. And it was about the charitable side of what I wanted to do. Mm. I actually, because you only need so much, but the rest of it was about supporting people who haven't had the same opportunities so so the business was already there the purpose was there and we're doing really good but it was it was actually about being able to support other people to be able to give them the same opportunities that my parents didn't have or yes. things like that and it, it is interesting so my why wasn't why I started the business no. you know, I, I joined this industry because I couldn't get a job to be brutally honest yep. so, so I was a, you know, a young triathlete with two bad knees so I had to find a job and I, did, I joined this industry and you know so I didn't know anything about it at first but it's sort of I have fallen in love with it obviously yes. you know 31 years later but it still comes back to what is your reason what is your why but until you actually know the purpose of what you're doing, like exactly what you said, it's it's really hard to understand your why. Yes. Because you know, otherwise the why can just be another plaque on the wall, you know, like over there, I have a dream or yeah. uh, whatever. It can, be another, it can be another plaque on the wall where you look at every so often, but is it there because slide seven on the, you know, the director's kit or is it there because you truly believe it and live it? Yeah, and you're spot on. You have to dig that bit deeper on yourself and I think companies that do it really well can dig deeper with their people to get that same unlocked and kind of go wow no all right so this is kind of where I'm at but this is what it actually going to mean to those people and when you can unlock what we always call unlock the heart and the capability yeah that's when you get to empowerment um, of people and then they're going to push harder for your businesses people always talk about how do I motivate my people more and I was like oh if I could give you that answer in like 10 seconds I'd be a billionaire yeah it's <laughs> um, why we all exist um, search for that answer Julia. <laughs> I'm, I'm searching I'm searching as hard as I possibly can yeah. but we actually know about people is they need to be challenged um, so you need to understand well what are the right kinds of challenges for that person and then what does actually mean something to them so when you take that time to go actually they've got these skills or strengths that they can leverage upon same as when we do a cultural audit like what are the strengths and skills a business has that we can leverage upon to make it better okay so you've got this with a person have they tried this what you've done with Jamie is perfect case study perfect example he could have gone both and succeeded in both but which one's better for him and 
give him that option to kind of go, actually, that one excites me that little bit more. Um, And I think businesses miss that piece a little bit too much. I I grew up in a generation that was very very rules-based. Yes. You know, the the neighbours' parents were Mr and Mrs Greeny, your teachers were Mr Bell, Mr Langford, and um, et cetera. Aunties and uncles. We're aunties and uncles. Exactly right. (laughs) so growing up and you know even when you were at work and things like that so it was very rules based and I'm not suggesting there's no rules nowadays but things are a lot more flexible whereas it didn't matter what personality I had as a 17 year old working at Drake these were the rules that you had to follow Mm -hmm. Um, and and wonderful organisation great experience to actually work for Um, and then you know I worked part time in a pub and these were the rules you had had to work by Organisations nowadays, you know, with the, I suppose, I suppose COVID really brought it to the forefront, but you've had to learn to be a little bit more flexible and sometimes there is that generational difference or that generational gap and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and I asked you this question in the workshop that you actually ran and I thought your answer was excellent, but, you know, when dealing with a larger group of people, and this is how I was raised. This was my mindset. You know, the old adage of, you know, children, children, children will be seen, not heard. Yes. <laughs> you and I would never have been able to shut up. <laughs> so, and, so, and probably you too, Julia. You know, we're having a great conversation as well. We just, you know, if we just had to sit there and say nothing. It would have been torturous for us. So, but in respect to how do you help that leader who means well, who is older, but understand the flexibility and the benefits that that can actually create. You know, it's because sometimes they could be a case of, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Yes. Rather than we'll see it, uh, believe it first, and then you will see it. So, you know, the, the reverse added, the reverse sort of psychology I've always thought of anyway. Yeah. So I have to believe it to see it. Mm. Um, uh, so I don't, I don't, well, you go and do it first and then prove it to me. So how do you actually get that older mentality where we were raised in a certain way to actually be that little bit more flexible? Yeah, I think... I think I am a bit flexible, Jamie. Getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I would say you have to be quiet for you got to be flexible. I'll have to yeah. talk to Jamie later to find yeah, out more yeah, on you, Tony, because yeah. from what I've heard, you've been quite uh, flexible in your journey yourself to get to where you've got. Um, it's interesting one because there's so... If every one of those leaders is going to be different and how we get them on that journey is going to be that little bit different. And we can sit in and even the workshop you attended, we walk into that and know that if there's 30 people in the room, there's going to be three or four people who we're just not going to resonate with and not going to connect with. And I think that's when you've kind of got to go that in every book, every movie you see, some people will love it, some people will hate it. Um, And so everyone's shift to get them on board will be quite different. Um, And we've had clients where we've gone through that cultural audit and a leader's put their hand up and gone, I'm not gonna change, this is not for me. Um, and I guess we didn't have that opportunity to go, could we make them see this value? And if that's them, that's their decision. They may come back five, 10 years from now, or their business may not exist five, 10 years from now. Um, but for us, it's around then if we're with a group of leaders and we're trying to take them on that journey, they've had something in their journey where they've been given opportunity or they've done something and you have to try to unlock that um, relationship for them around what was it for you that made you go that extra mile or what was it for you that was the difference because a leader to get to where they will where they are still had capability behaviors and skills to get there Um, do think there's a lot of people who are promoted without the right behaviors to be managers and leaders and so they're the harder ones often to get that shift to happen they've got there because they've got great knowledge skills and capability Um, not necessarily the behaviors to back that up and I think we need to accept that not everybody is cut out to be a leader and I think when we've got that all right this career is just as important as a leadership or a management career and we can recognize them as well we're going to have a far better workplace for everybody Um, but it's really just sitting and understanding that particular person the same as you would others and so that when we do those alignment workshops it's really powerful for them to hear that what I started with about that Curtin University experience is can you see the body language when you shift this 
can you actually see that you can get the same outcome if you just understand why your people come to work so it wasn't that wasn't about the rules not being followed so these people were following the rules it was about them giving the extra mile they didn't care if they were hitting a kpi they cared about making differences in people's lives so it's just such a small communication change so for us it's it's about driving an awareness it's what we do in our business it's it's about you know we, we have a well, an unwritten rule, but it's basically a case of anyone who walks in here, if they can't walk out in a better financial position, we can't charge them or have them as a client. No, it's in, that's yeah. why. Why would somebody come to see us if their position isn't going to be better? Yes. For actually having seen us and us imparting knowledge with them, so it, it is. It is interesting that when you look at it from that perspective of. You know, there's been some examples of late the clients have been clients for like 10 years and we set these goals 10 years ago and, you know, one of them has just achieved them. Yeah. Uh, so a year early, uh, wow. they hit their magic number a year early, uh, they've downsized their house, they've uh, they've moved from CBD to their country living in Matoani, Horsham there. Yep. Oh, wow. And it's And it's just... You know, I, I spent a huge part of my childhood in Horsham, yes. uh, so I know the Grampians quite <laughs> yes. well as well. So, but it's, but that's an example. And I know Shane actually always listens to our podcast. That's a shout out to you, Shane. You know, I'm talking about you. But that that was for me one of the greatest moments in my 30 year career, seeing them achieve that goal. And he said, "Well, I'm now retired." And he's just doing odd jobs, helping around town, not charging, uh, helping people collect firewood and stuff like that because he's 63, as fit as a fiddle, and they've been able to actually do that. And that, that's actually really heartfelt. So when you're actually looking at staff members and having helping them understand the outcome of what they do for that client, I think it's, yeah, yeah it's and in, in any organisation. So it all comes, yeah, I think it comes We all back. like to help, don't yeah. we? Yeah, well, we all want to belong and feel significant and yeah. it's what that significance is for each individual person. So for me, it's connecting with people and making their working lives better if it can be. For you, yeah. it's obviously making financial outcomes come to fruition for people. So, um, Over yeah. 30 years, you actually become part of their family. Yeah, well, <laughs> an important yeah. part of their family because you help them provide for their yeah. family. So I think for leaders, when you're trying to get them on this shift, and what we do quite a bit, we break a lot of the rules in HR. <laughs> We've simplified a lot of it. We don't have big, long performance review documents they're not 16 pages we've got a rule trying to keep everything we can to one a4 sheet of paper um if you're going too far can you say it more simply um and i think when you start to think about a leader why does the rule exist sat in so many meetings with like leaders going why do you want kpis so desperately you've had them before they didn't work for you why do you want them again i actually wrote down something here when you were talking earlier julie Julia, uh, building rules for the worst offenders in mind. You know, yeah. so it's and that was that was a thing that I, I said um, at a board meeting I was at last week. I said the rules are fine, but the rules are in place for the worst offenders, and you got, and, but they're holding back thirty percent of yeah. your top performers yeah. uh, because of this. Who that it's just not significant for them. But those rules based and checklists is actually holding them back from the success yeah. that they should actually have. And you're spending all your time worrying about Red tape. the worst offenders right. uh, rather than in spending your time on the people who are going to take it better and honestly if you're doing that you're not having the difficult conversations with those people and we call like you know if you're having a difficult conversation with positive intent for that person then you can actually move them on but yeah, yeah um, you look at Netflix they don't have policies that are bad they've got the culture decks how we do things positively here um, we still have an element of compliance that we offer because you need it for those worst offenders you need it to protect a business yeah. as you would from financial risk down the the track but you know you still need the framework those foundations to fall back on yeah. um, but it's how you then bring that all to life um, and yes simply <laughs> break the rules challenge the rules what's it giving you and so often the rules we're talking about now is rules about being in an office rules about where you're doing your work and it's like have you actually you challenge them the other way and say right so have you ever had somebody who sits in the office for the longest amount of time but does no work Mm. have you had somebody who responds to a lot of emails because a lot of people view that responsiveness to emails as a good worker 
No, they're just responding to your emails and they're filling up your inbox and taking your time with emails. Like, we didn't used to have emails. We used to write a letter. We used to get a lot of work, what I'd call focused, deep work done in a day because it wasn't instantaneous. Now you can have a whole day just back and forth in emails and actually, did you do anything anything that was productive? No. So... Um, yeah, just challenge the rules. And I think that's where we get to with those leaders who are so insistent on the rules. It's tell me what that rule gives you. Um, understand that rule. And then if it makes sense, then we keep it. If it doesn't make sense, get rid of it. Simplify yeah. it. Julia, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I think, you know, a lot of our clients are business owners, um, you know, and, and really in the sweet range that you're talking about. And, and I know that they've talked to us about a lot of their challenges as well. So I think it will really resonate with the listeners. It will. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having us. The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co., which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.